Thank you all for carving out the time to come again tonight. We ask Allah to accept our intentions, we ask Allah to accept our efforts, and we ask Allah to overlook any of our shortcomings in general. We'll go ahead and resume. Uh, we're on page six. So I'll start from the top of page six, inshallah. The physical act may have all the marks of the pious performance of worship, but if we look deep inside, we may uncover a wasteland, a heart wrecked with uncertainty and discontentment. If we see and feel this in ourselves, we must turn our immediate attention to fixing our hearts and linking our physical performance of worship to us from people is the well-being of their hearts. Excellence of our exterior, we should pay greater attention to the excellence of our interior. It is the excellence and reformation of the heart that will help us when we meet Allah the Most High on the last day. Allah says, on the day when wealth and children will, will be of no benefit except for one who comes to Allah with a sound heart. The sound heart is one that is free from corruption, full with devotion to the Most Merciful. I'll keep reading a little bit, inshallah. The centrality of the heart. <clears throat> In addition to everything said so far, the heart is the most important part of the body because, one, all the commands of Allah in Islam, including the, including the prohibitions, are received first by the heart. And it is the heart that accepts or rejects them, decides to pursue them or to avoid them. The body comes in second. Two, at times when the body is unable to perform these commands or is forced out of necessity to do the haram, rejection of the haram. Similarly, when someone is compelled to utter words of disbelief for fear of death or torture, it is the iman in his heart that keeps him Muslim. Three, the heart has its special worship that does not include the body, while the body's worship always includes the heart. Love, tawakkul, which is trusting Allah, sincerity and contentment are examples of actions of the heart that are not dependent on the body. Four, the intention of the heart, such as wishing to do good or evil, brings great reward or sin, though the body is not actively doing anything. And when one does all that he can to Five, since it is the center and its worship are the foundations of the acts of the body and hence are more value, valuable and more rewardable. The worship of the body is meaningless without the heart. Conversely, the reward for the worship of the body depends on and increases because of the heart. The more iman and proper intentions the heart has, the more the reward. Two people, for example, could engage in the same worship but vary greatly in reward because one is more sincere. Six, there is more physical acts into worship. Seven, the importance of the heart makes it shaitan's first and main target. <clears throat> this is why shaitan attacks it constantly with doubts and temptations. The heart is the battleground where iman is won or lost. So just because we just finished that, uh, that section, does anyone have any thoughts or reflections before we move on to the next, the next section? I know one thing that stood out to me was especially number three. Uh, the heart has its special worship that does not include the body, while the body's praying in order for that physical good deed to be accepted, sincerity has to be present in the heart. And so though for the body, the two always have to be present, but for the heart, the body doesn't necessarily have to be present. And then some examples are given um, love, trusting Allah, sincerity and contentment are specifically in connection with the heart that don't necessarily depend on the body. So that one really stood out to me. Does anyone else have anything they want to share before we move on? You know, but I got a question. Mm -hmm. All right, so uh, this 
before I came in there, it's not what I used to think about. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, like that was a really confusing topic. And then transitioning, like a lot of people talk about the heart a lot. I never really understood what the heart meant. Like, what, what is, is your heart different in your, like, what you really, really want in your heart different from what you have on your mind, like 24 7 or Like, what's, when they say heart, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. And is it in connection with the mind? Because from, from a Quranic perspective, the two are directly connected and the heart is actually given precedence. That's what I'm saying. And yeah. what is this precedent like? What, mm-hmm. what does that mean for the heart to have precedence over the mind? Mm-hmm. Like, that's never really been explained. Mm-hmm. Clearly. Good question. Go ahead. Um, I'm not sure if this is based off hadith or anything, but mm-hmm. I remember I was listening to a podcast about uh, when they refer to listening to your heart, it's basically your intuition. Mm-hmm. So it's like a voice speak in that's telling you. Says your mind that could be your ego mm-hmm. or shaitan because that's how you can like, access your mind. But I'm not sure, like, Islamic perspective on that. Yeah, that, that does um, have validity uh, of um, how to navigate the situation. So, the way that, that, that I think of it is that the mind is so there is definitely that connection, and Allah mentions in different places in the Quran. Uh, the concept of thinking with your heart, which is interesting, because uh, in uh, Western culture we typically think of the mind thinking with the mind in disconnection from the heart. Um, the way that I think of it is like the mind is this really like your brain is this really powerful tool, but it's still second to the heart. So it's there, it does so much, and it's important. Of course, it's needed for so many functions, but it has to be second in line to the heart. So if someone, for example, is uh, like this you know, scientific genius, but then if they use that talent they have to invent things, for example, to create things, and that's coming from their mind, it has to be, from the Islamic perspective, what is your intention for doing that? So the, this really powerful tool, but the heart is um, is the priority is basically at the forefront. So that from the Islamic perspective, the two are intertwined, but think of the heart as one A and then the brain as one B and the mind is kind of like, it includes both essentially, but the heart is, is still the one A, is still um, more important and at the forefront, it kind of takes in a sense, did you want to say something? Yeah, about the difference between the Islamic concept of the heart and the ruh. Mm-hmm. So, like, there's the concept of the ruh, which means the soul. Mm-hmm. So, in a sense, the way that the heart is described in Islam is it is like necessarily, it's mm-hmm. like, you know, how you're feeling. So, and if that's the case, the soul, I mean, we don't know a lot about the soul. Either, but the mm-hmm. says that people ask about the soul, but there's not much that Allah reveals about the soul. Mm-hmm. So is it similar to that or they're different? Regarding the heart and the soul? Yeah. Okay, good question. The, the two are, are definitely um, intertwined in a way. So you have the importance of meeting what the some of the A's that were mentioned here. 
uh, is the heart. The ruh is, like you mentioned, the soul. And you also quoted the ayah very relevantly uh, that we just, we really don't know that much about it. That we just, it's actually very interesting that as much as we may have gained uh, in terms of scientific discoveries, there's this constant mystery of uh, of the soul of the ruh. Um, so the in connection with with the soul, Allah mentions um, has given it this capacity to either lean towards taqwa or you know away from it. And then Allah mentions after that that whoever purifies their soul, this is in connection with. So here, nafs is being used interchangeably with ruh, uh, and that that can be its own like separate discussion because the term nafs can be a generic term. Like here, nafs referring to the human soul. Other times, nafs can be used in more of a negative way. Like, don't listen to your nafs because your nafs is telling you, you know, to do the wrong thing. For example, um, so like meeting Allah with the sound heart, with the pure soul, the 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 two are are. There's like a ton of overlap, basically. So the uh, realm of like the in in connection with the soul, yeah, absolutely. And then even it's interesting, even the the human heart, like in in, in Arabic, the term qalb is like it just it the human heart is constantly changing. Yeah. Right? How many people regarding more small things, like someone when they were a kid, they may have I don't know, I'll give a silly example, they may have hated vanilla ice cream, and then. 10 years later, 20, 30 years later, that becomes like, oh, my God, you know, greatest thing ever. So it's, it's a very, you know, elementary example, but there was a change of heart in connection with the importance of making the dua, O turner of hearts, keep my heart firm on your deen. Because just because someone has iman today, it's not necessarily guaranteed for tomorrow if they're not willing to put in work and effort to to try to maintain their connection uh, with Allah. So basically the, the two are, are a lot of the time interchangeable between the heart and uh, someone may say that, oh, that person has a good heart. They have a clean heart. Oh, that person, you know, I don't know. Do people say they're, uh, there's, is like something that anyone can think of, like a pure soul. I think that, go ahead. Mm -hmm. Right, right. Yeah, that's that I think hits the nail on the head. Thank you for sharing. Any other thoughts or uh, reflections before we move on to the next question? Yeah, just in terms of the was. The brain is essentially similar to one of your limbs because your your belief resides in your heart, and that the difference between you and a non-believer or somebody who's not Muslim is is strictly what's in your heart uh, is your belief in Allah because you you do the same thing you wake up you go to work you take care of your family you eat you sleep you do everything and you do it all again. And your brain processes all of these all these actions differently. You try to be good. To, both of you try to be good to people. Both of you try to do this. The only difference is you, in your heart, know that Allah 
is who you, who you belong to and that all your actions are worship and servitude towards him uh, and that your love is for him and the, the, the connection that was made for me was that like um, or the, the example that was given to me was like your love of anybody like think of your relationship when you love someone else you don't you don't think of loving people with your brain like you process how to love them with your brain like how am I going to show this person that I love them am I going to do something for them am I going to give words of affirmation to them? am I going to you know different love languages all that stuff but you process how to express your love with your brain but your love resides here and that's what you need to take care of because as a Muslim you could you could still make mistakes right but Allah doesn't Allah will look at your heart and ultimately will look at your heart so you could probably you could have the good intention and do something wrong conversely you could have you could do something good but ruin it with a bad intention right and then you get nothing out of it um, so the difference is it, it, it's essentially like it's what's your what what do you desire what do you love um, what what burns you on the inside and what the emotions um, and that's what resides in your heart what makes you cry like um, and then your brain your brain just simply processes how to respond to the to your heart and, and it says like okay like this is how I'm feeling this is what I should do. Um, and it's our job to control our brain the same way to control our limbs and say, okay, like, you know, this thought is okay to act on, this th this thought is not okay to act on, this is not. Right. So that's just how it's explained to me. Mm -hmm. How I understood it. Thank okay, you for sharing. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense because I think of also like forgiveness. Mm -hmm. right? You can't think to forgive someone, forgiveness mm -hmm. comes from the heart. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Between a human and a robot is the heart, is the soul, is emotion, is. Um, you know, feelings, and especially when it when it ties in um, with love in general, and expressing that, like there can be, like the computation of there the different love languages. Say, gift giving, if someone is going to give the gift of flowers or chocolate, whatever it may be. The important thing is for that gift, like the processing can be up here, but then for that gift to sincerely be given from the heart is um, something that really matters. So. For sharing. Anyone else want to say anything before we move on to the the next section? for sharing. Okay, we can continue. We're on page eight. The next section uh, is titled "Our Families and Children." We, as spouses and parents, are responsible for more than ourselves. We, have but we ought to focus on the well-being of their hearts. We can't demand their physical compliance with Islam while not nurturing their love of Allah and understanding of Islam. And that's extremely critical because a lot of parents that may want to, they may think like, okay, I want to force my kid to pray, but if they don't love Allah and his messenger, then like, is it really going to have that soul? Is that sincerity really going to be there? And if the approach is done in that way, then the answer is no. And that's mentioned here. Um, the cost of imbalance is too high where compliance so like doing it physically out of deference or convenience turns into resentment and rebellion. We are living in viruses of doubt and self-hate. With rapid and easy access to information worldwide, this is increasingly a problem, even in Muslim countries. In the face of this onslaught, it is no longer sufficient to demand external compliance while ignoring, while ignoring the hearts and minds of our children and families. The development of a strong and personal relationship with Allah 
one that is based on a deeper and broader understanding of Islam, is a solution. And the words of the Prophet ﷺ ring true again. The reform. Let me, let me go through the next section just because we're really close to finishing uh, the commentary. What does it mean for halal and haram to be clear? It means that knowledge of what is halal and haram is accessible and comprehensible. It means that this knowledge is widespread and common among Muslims and even some non-Muslims today. And when it is not, one can find clear statements in the Qur'an and Sunnah about what is allowed and what is not. Or they can consult the religious scholars who will inform them of the ruling and present them with the evidence. Yet between the two poles of halal and haram are matters that are not clear. They may be halal or haram, but this uncertainty about many such matters is relative. It, when we do not know is to ask those who know, so we can then the ambiguous will either move to the category of halal or haram. This takes care of many ambiguous matters that Muslims face in their lives. Yet at times, uncertainty persists because one, there is strong disagreement between the scholars of conflicting evidence. Two, there is missing or insufficient information to reach a ruling. Or three, excuse me, or three, the circumstances are too complicated to render judgment. In the case of persistent doubts and uncertainties, what should a Muslim do with his religion and reputation? Partaking of the doubtful is partaking of the haram, as Prophet stated. How so? Some of these doubtful matters are indeed haram, though we have not, though we have not found out yet. When we accept them, we would be admitting haram into our lives. Additionally, developing the habit of indulging in the doubtful emboldens us to violate the prohibitions as it removes the emotional barrier and distance that stood between us and the prohibited. On the other hand, the one who distances himself from these doubtful matters is more likely to avoid the clear prohibitions. As the Prophet said, وسلم, the one who leaves is about to violate what's clear. Piety protects his religion from haram and keeps his reputation intact and free from criticism. Let me just finish the, the page and then we can go from there, inshallah. The connection between the two parts of the hadith. The body that leaves sin and the potentially sinful is the one that possesses a healthy heart, free from disease. When the heart is inhabited by the love and fear of Allah, the body will necessarily stay away from sinful and ambiguous matters. But if hawa worldly to, to the effect the halal, haram, and ambiguous have on the health of the heart. The actions we choose to do, food we eat, and money we earn, leave their mark on our hearts, cleansing or polluting them. The importance of the hadith. This hadith can be found in the collection of 40 hadith of An-Nawi. It is also one of the three or four hadith that have been identified as foundational in Islam. Try your best to remember the assertion of the Prophet ﷺ, your heart is the key to your success in this life and the next. So that's the, the end of the commentary for Hadith 1. Second to last section, the body that leaves sin and the potentially sinful is the one that possesses a healthy heart. Mm -hmm. And, you know, um, when you read it, it makes it makes sense, right? Obviously, it's, it's not something obvious, but it makes it logical and then it is for good reason that we ought to leave sin. Now, how do you do that? in a practical way so like mm -hmm. when for example we were talking about the heart and the mind it's the part of you that believes in Allah um, so that's in a way where the heart is in your favor but let's say there is a time where your heart wants 
to do something that you shouldn't do. And then your mind's like, well, no, you better not. And so now you're going on this back and forth with like, where it says the Bible do something that you shouldn't do. So it's like easy to say, but then how do we actually put that into motion and the things that each of us are doing different things, right? Because no one's perfect. So it's like everybody has their own love like you can. Um, like, <laughs> ironically, there's <laughs> so for all of us loving the end, we're calling all of us now surrendering. Yeah, how do you actually go about not sinning and then doing right by your heart and, and your what is it? Um, one that possesses a healthy heart, so to give yourself a seed of the intention in the heart of recognizing going with the sugar example that can be very comparable to many other things yes. right <laughs> yeah so, so step one someone has a problem <laughs> to recognize they have a problem and then to work on it but i would say um at the very beginning of that process there has to be uh the the intention that okay this is something that i want to work on and then how can i work on that the most highest, um, most highly ranked scholars from the Sahaba, especially after the Prophet passed away, like she was consulted on a lot of things. And what one of the things that made her perspective unique was that she had the inside scope of how the Prophet behaved at home, how to, she had the opportunity to ask him a lot of different questions personally and to have that one-on-one -on -one time with him. Uh, she said that when the, when the Qur'an was initially being revealed to the Prophet ﷺ, when it was initially being sent down, there weren't commandments of, you know, don't drink alcohol or don't commit adultery. Because had that been the case, then the people would have responded saying, like, we're definitely not going to be able to stop these different things. Rather, what was being sent down was very foundational to believe in one God, to believe in Judgment Day, to believe that heaven and hell are real. So that foundation was built first. And then if you take uh, the example of alcohol, you don't have any hidden, potentially being forbidden. It was, I mean, some people still avoided it. Sayyidina Abu Bakr, he, he never drank alcohol. He did from, and this is like, you know, going decades even before uh, Islam something in him he, he just he, he wasn't interested right he he saw people getting drunk and then doing certain things that they went from being like really smart people to then making other decisions that you know wouldn't be so smart so he avoided it but it wasn't necessarily uh, a ruling per se at that point in time it's interesting that the majority of the quran was revealed in mecca the majority of the quran is very foundational in medina it's also interesting to note regarding Allah sent a ruling in connection with it. I think it's very interesting that the first step, uh, w like, happened because, and you find it within the ayah, there's a clear indication that companions, Sahaba, they came to the Prophet to ask him, as the ayah mentions, you know, they ask you, yes, al al khamri wal maisir. So it's interesting that it, it didn't, it's not like there was a day when the Prophet told them. Uh, you know, this concept of there's both good and bad, but there's more bad than good. He didn't open the door for step one. 
they actually opened it themselves, which indicates that they must have been ready. They were thinking about it. Why were they thinking about it? So they went and they asked really important. They were ready to go to him and ask that question. That's one thing I think is interesting in that ayah. And then look at Allah's response. It wasn't, they ask you about these things. Tell them it's haram. Tell them, for example, sugar is forbidden. It's bad for you. It gives you cavities. It's not good for this and this and this. There was, first of all, they went to the Prophet. And then Allah's response was say to the Prophet, say there's both good and bad, but there's more bad in them than good. That was it. Food for thought. Just think about it. right? It's like someone... Uh, if they watch a documentary, for example, about sugar, it puts the seed of maybe I should think about this. Maybe I should more bad than good. And it was left at that. And then the next step, when when it was uh, when it was relevant, was don't pray when you're intoxicated. And it's important to note that they felt this very deep and spiritual connection with their prayer. So to them, that was extremely meaningful. So when the command came. Don't pray. And there's a reason why it was sent down because there was a, a companion who was basically leading prayer. And, you know, there, uh, because th there's no prohibition. So there's what they were saying. And then this ayah was revealed as a response to that. And that ayah says, don't pray when you're intoxicated. So step one, just think about it, food for thought. Step two, don't pray when you're intoxicated, i.e., try to push it until the evening time. Right, push it basically till after Aisha. Handle your prayers first, and then, you know, kind of. So it, it wasn't a complete prohibition. It was kind of pushing it and guiding it in a certain direction. And then the next step was, um, and it's also important to note their reaction, which is an indication that was the prohibition when Allah says that you know basically it's prohibited. This is haram, and and some of the reasons are are mentioned why uh, in Surah Ma'idah. And we all know that the response that they had was, right, the, that's an indication that they were ready and they were willing and they accepted it right away. Even then, there were still, like there, there's one uh, Sahabi, one companion specifically, he knew that it was haram. Going back to the sugar, I know this is bad for me. For some people, it may be easier to give up sugar. For other people, it may be way more difficult. So this companion had a really hard time giving up his alcohol addiction essentially and he kept getting so there were consequences if you basically did uh get caught drinking essentially then there were consequences so he he basically got in trouble repeatedly and this is in medina in the city of the prophet during the life of the prophet even after there's a, a clear as day prohibition he's struggling with it he's a human being when he was uh there was another something uh, like really harsh about him or to him. And interestingly, the Prophet corrected the Sahabi who said something harsh, telling, like correcting that companion, telling him like, you know, basically don't, don't say that about him. I know that he loves Allah and his messenger. Going back to love, going back to the heart. So in his heart, he knew that this is not good for me. I know it's not good for me, but pattern so forth. Um, it's interesting how the prophet responded. The prophet didn't tell the Sahabi who said, who criticized him, who said something harsh, you know, to him 
Um, he didn't say, yeah, you tell him and, you know, pile it on and let's shame him, you know, until the day he dies. And it's interesting, the prophet, if you think about it, defended him, defended him because of the the good that he had in his heart. So it's kind of like in his heart, he recognized, okay, this is allowed, this is not allowed. And there, there was no rebuttal in that regard. Addiction is is a struggle, right? It, it's it's extremely difficult. So that the light on the situation, he highlighted the silver lining within that person. No one is going to say, well, the prophet may have been justifying him, you know, continuing continuing with his addiction. Obviously not. No one is going to say that. The prophet dealt with it with care, with compassion, with wisdom, and he understood that this is this is a, a very um, like this heart is struggling right now. And what it needs is medicine, not criticism, right? Which it ties in with the concept that your average masjid should be like a spiritual hospital, right? Imagine if somebody was sick and they're struggling with something and maybe a sugar addiction and they went to the hospital, having a better relationship with Allah, working like, et cetera. Imagine if a hospital were to tell sick people, you're not welcome here because you're sick, come back when you're healthy. What's the point of the hospital, right? What's the point of the masjid? It's supposed to be this process of, you know, connecting with the masjid, benefiting from, from that spiritual medicine of prayer, of Quran, of dhikr, of, you know, doing, uh, you know, praying together, uh, for example, there, within that environment, within the messages should be comparable to how, how do doctors and nurses treat patients. They, they care about them. They want to help them. They want to, you know, to help them heal. Let's triage the situation in an emergency room. If somebody shows up with a broken leg, they definitely need treatment. But if somebody shows up and they have a heart attack, they're having a heart attack, then that has to, that has to be prioritized. Um, so there has to be a lot of that requires wisdom. So Whenever we're going, you know, to any masjid, there's so much value that's contained within within people's kindness, especially because you don't know if that person is struggling with a sugar addiction or if they're struggling with, you know, trying to cut down on their carbs. Even if I'm not going to change everything overnight, I can't even if I wanted. So what's my long term plan in trying to slowly but surely get there by the time alcohol was finally forbidden in Medina? It was. I think over a decade and a half into the the, the mission of the Prophet Imagine, just for you know, the, the sake of reflection, imagine someone if they become Muslim and people just tell them, "You need to change a hundred thousand things." I think one of the most important reasons why they were the Prophet described them as the best generation of Muslims. Right, the best generation is my generation, and then those who come after them, and those who come after them. I think one of the reasons why the Sahaba were so effective in their da'wah, in their, you know, uh, like inviting other people to Islam, I think so much of it had to do with the fact that God and his messenger allowed them years to develop, including regarding what we would consider major things. It wasn't iqra for that. So that time for growth, I think, is one of the reasons why they were so impactful. They were given time to grow, right? So internally, I need to allow myself time to grow. And then when dealing with other people, to also allow them time to grow. So long as that sincerity is there, things will continue to progress and to grow, which is why the Sahaba, they were 
as a generation, they were so ready to give up alcohol in a culture that like pre-Islam alcohol grow and develop. And then when that time, um, so I think a lot of it has to do with, with a long-term plan having, you know, it, um, I don't know if they have like sugar anonymous, <laughs> like they have alcoholics anonymous and, you know, other, uh, other meetings, but what, what AA does one alcoholics anonymous, one thing that it does is, and it's embedded within the program that this is based on data and research and studies and trial and error, all of that. It's so much more effective when people try to wrestle with addiction when they believe in a higher power, like that's built into, into their system, into their 12 step process. And there are certain things that you just hand them over to Allah. There's still the effort that's needed. There's still a lot of change entirely, thoroughly, potentially permanently all on my own. It's just too much. I need more. I need help from a higher through that day. For example, um, Another another thing that's I think really valuable within that example is there's so many different support groups, right? For um, for AA for Alcoholics Anonymous, there's that. And okay, I'll rely on God, but I'm not going to rely on other people. I'm going to do it all on my own. It it's too much. It's just not possible, right? So there's a need for us to rely on each other to surround ourselves with other people. And if someone is you know they they have that craving for some candy, for some sugar. Um, maybe they text a friend or they text that group. Guys, <laughs> help me out here. You know, today's a rough day. Dresser or maybe a specific person. Like if they deal with certain things, they know just based on years of, of, of history, based on their own patterns. Okay, going into it, I know that usually this is going to lead to that. So beforehand, let me try to plan accordingly. What is what is something that what's like a safety net that I can have that I can have there? What's uh, it could be like family gatherings. Maybe there's a certain family member who is just extremely triggering, triggering, excuse me, for for someone and manage it as best they can. But maybe they know their pattern that after there's you know this type of family gathering and there are all these questions of people asking of you know oh have you done this in your life yet or that one or whatever then um it know that that's going to result in them kind of responding a certain way okay how can that be planned for accordingly ahead of time and 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 maybe they would turn to sugar or whatever uh substance so the plan may be instead of turning to that afterwards i'm going to turn to Maybe a support group, maybe something, right? That can um, that can help. So going going back to to that, you know, what you were mentioning and giving sugar as an example, um, that's a it's a reality that everyone here and everyone in general struggles with, right? None of us are perfect, and part of that it's not a license to do whatever, but part of that is because Allah intentionally left some bugs in the software. And there's wisdom behind that. There's, um, it's not a justification, but even within the Quran, Allah mentions this very high caliber of people. Allah mentions that these these are people who value uh, seeking His forgiveness. They value chasing Jannah. 
they they give charity when things are good they give charity when when things are difficult they control their anger uh, they pardon people and allah says that he loves them wallahi yuhibbul muhsinin so th- this is like a high standard in the next, shows an attitude in the next ayah allah says وَالَّذِينَ إِذَا فَعَلُوا فَاحِشَةً أَوْ ظَلَمُوا أَفْسَهُمْ ذَكَرُوا اللَّهَ فَاسْتَغْفَرُوا لِذُنُوبِهِمْ And there are those who, uh, if they, basically if they make a mistake, if they wrong themselves, they are quick to remember Allah and to make istighfar, which indicates their attitude. They try their best to avoid the sugar, for example. And Allah is saying, and in case they slip, in case they relapse, for example, which is actually part of the expected process for anyone trying to, um, you know, move on from a sugar addiction. Addiction uh, is there. The attitude is there. That you know, I'm not going in full on. Hey, justifying it, carte blanche. Go do this, that, or the other. Option one: to avoid it as much as possible. To avoid spilling Kool-Aid on that fancy white carpet. That's the conscious choice. In case it spills, Allah is saying these are people who clean it up quickly. These are people who, you know, they, they don't let it sit. They, they, they're quick to remember Allah after their mistake. And they're quick to make istighfar and to ask forgiveness for whatever their mistakes were. So it shows us option one. Let me try to say if Allah says, spills things, even if you try your best not to. When they spill things, they're quick to clean it up. Uh, and who can forgive their sins other than Allah? And they don't have this attitude of uh, continuously um, like persisting with, with no sense of remorse, with no sense of regret. So Allah is, is framing their mindset, right? their attitude. And the ayah after that, uh, you highlighted is a relatable stru- is it's part of the human project, right? Theoretically, up here, like we know a whole bunch of different ideas and concepts, and yeah, it's it's way healthier if you can cut out sugar, if you can cut down or you know uh, on on the carbs and and you know do keto and do you know this and that. Like that sounds great. The struggle's real. Sometimes you just want to, be, right? Sometimes you've had a long day. And you're like, man, civic donut because they have this like really unique menu or whatever. Okay, so I'm going to go pick it up. And initially, I'll pick it up for them. And then it's like, man, I haven't had a donut in like six months, for example. The struggle's real, right? So option one, there's this idea of, okay, trying to avoid things. But then there have to be mechanisms in place. Ideally, we'd be healthy 24-7 all the time. Sometimes we get sick. Right, so there are different medicines for uh, for when we get sick, depending on what the sickness is. I think someone in the back raised their hand. Go ahead. Yeah. So I remember a while back, Commissioner uh, Nelly, he compared our sins to wildfire. Mm-hmm. He said, if you try to try and try try to control wildfire, actually, you get more um, out of control. So what's the best way to control wildfire is to start a controlled fire. And then he compared a controlled fire to the frogs. You remember the little boss? Um, like you said, what your triggers can be surrounding yourself with good people. Um, so yeah, I found that very interesting. Mm-hmm. I think that that's a good, uh, that's an interesting analogy, right? Comparing, like a wildfire is one thing, a bonfire is very different. 
Um, so can it can it at least where is the needle pointing? So we we all know the story of the the person who right killed ninety nine people and then they went to uh, a worshiper, a monk. So someone who did a lot of worship and presumably they were very sincere, but they're described as a worshiper, not as a scholar. Um, so he thinks, well, this person looks religious. Let me go and ask him my question. You know, I've, I have this horrible past. Can I be forgiven? And immediately that person says no, right? So then that person becomes number 100. And then, like, and what can possibly come between you and God forgiving you? And he must have learned about his situation and advised him based on the, the like, the root, what, what the scholar diagnosed as a spiritual doctor in that situation, this is happening because of your surrounding, your surroundings, because of the environment that you're in. So you need to basically relocate. You, if you're if you're hanging out, for example, if you're trying to quit drinking and you're working in a bar, and that's your full time job, and you're a bartender, and if you're if us to to change his environment to go live somewhere else, what's interesting to me. That man, he didn't even get there. To me, that's like incredible. It's not like he got there and then he built a hundred orphanages to like make up for the the hundred, you know, murders that he committed. He, it's amazing. Like he didn't even get there, but he took tangible action to show Allah that I'm trying. I'm at least gonna embark on the journey. I don't know what the future holds, but I'm at least going to try. So in terms of sugar addiction, right, to try and try again. And it, it happens, you know, a con something happens, life happens, a mistake happens. And then how to respond internally with ourselves? Are we going to get back up and, you know, easier said than done, but are we going to try again? Are we surrounded by the right people who maybe just by being around them, they may not you know, preach anything about diet or exercise or whatever. But just by being around them, and if you know that they go to the gym X number of times a week or they go running X number of times a week or and the way they may talk about it, just naturally and casually, the, the just the if you go out to eat with them or you go to Starbucks or wherever, just paying attention to, you know, the decisions that they make naturally by just by being around them. Now, they already had that plan. Ideally, they wouldn't have slipped, but because they already had a mechanism in place, regardless if they did or didn't have sugar the day before, they have that plan to do good that day, right? Which is why it's so valuable for someone to have some kind of dhikr routine. If it's the morning, uh, morning of God, evening of God, no matter how good or bad their day went, no matter how many good deeds or bad deeds, if they have that cemented, for example, they're going to say Sayyid al-Istighfar it's going to tip the scale. In Al-Hasanati with Ibn Sayyid, one, one um, man, he came to the Prophet ﷺ and he told him that he had, and Sayyidina Umar was there, he went and he told the Prophet that, that he had kissed a woman who he wasn't married to. And Allah responded, and Sayyidina Umar is like, God had you covered, why are you uncovering yourself? Like, you shouldn't put yourself on glass, basically. Um, and Allah revealed... Uh, the, these ayahs of the Prophet at the end of Surah Hud, and within them, the, the message is basically handle your prayer, like try your best, focus on your prayer, good deeds replace bad deeds.
right? So it's interesting how, like, what was the medicine? What was the remedy that Allah gave to this man through the and it wasn't heavy on the criticism. It wasn't heavy on the shame. It was, the, the man made a mistake. He recognized that it's a mistake. He's not justifying. He's not saying, you know, Ya Rasulullah, like, change the sharia for me and make this okay. I messed up and I know that I messed up. What do I do? And Allah gave medicine. Allah gave uh, a way to heal. Build these positive things into your life. And eventually, it's not just in the short term, yes, good deeds replace bad deeds. That's true. But by having those habits in place, eventually over time, however long it may take, uh, eventually things will t will tip in the other direction. And the other story of the man basically hit the reset button, um, that shows us that so long as you're sincerely, you know, walking towards Allah, taking those steps towards Allah, that matters a lot, right? So if someone, if they fall down, there's a Japanese proverb, fall down seven times, get up eight. So that concept of it's, it could be something as, as simple as, you know, attending this gathering on a weekly basis, for example, or any any gathering of, of, of benefit. Um, if someone, if they're like, okay, I may not be where I want to be. It could be Jum'ah, it could be a halaqa, it could be a class, it could be whatever, whatever that is. And then eventually that will grow and uh, eventually things will, inshallah, go in the right direction. But even then, Wait, there are going to be ups and downs, and uh, there's benefit that we can take from it if we're willing to look at it in that way. And the struggle is real, though, right? No, no one in here can claim one. We are where we want to be with Allah. We are where we should be with Allah. You know, we can kick our feet in making a mistake can be humility. All that other good that you were doing, that wasn't because of you. Allah was the one helping you and just remain humble. And one of the key fruits that should come from that is to respond in a humble way when other people come to you and say, I'm struggling with the sugar addiction. If someone responds, oh my God, how, how dare you? Had to... That's not what's supposed to happen. If a person has really valued that process, that journey of Tezkiyah, and they know themselves they could be extremely sincere and they're trying and trying and they are making improvements, but three steps forward, one step back, three steps forward, one step back. So when someone comes to that back, what do I do? They're not going to respond and say, how could you take a step back? That's a fake response. That, that's not genuine. That's not real or realistic, but rather they would offer some medicine, some wisdom, some healing. Keep going. That's okay. If you take three steps forward, then one step back, you're still two steps further ahead than you were before. So if you just cement that and you continue, you're going to continue going in the right direction nonstop, regardless of, you know, the challenges along the way. That's why we situations and then also when dealing with other people to have, um, you know, that humility and wisdom and compassion and let, let's try to, let's focus on healing. How can we all go in that direction? So for highlighting that. I really appreciate it. It's 10.05, Ash is at 10.15. Does anyone have any comments, questions before? Uh, go ahead. Um, in the beginning of the, the first thing that we just started, we talked about like balance of mm -hmm. um, like internal mm -hmm. kind of balance. Um, so I know that Sid was talking about what his obligations towards his family and whatnot. Um, 
my big thing would be like, how do you find the balance of giving up some of it yourself, mm -hmm. right? So where you end up like for other people, like I'm married, right? So if you're married and you're constantly trying to, I don't want to say coddle, but like essentially like, you know, you know your husband's going through stuff at work, or you're going through family, whatever. So you kind of um, put yourself on the back burner, mm -hmm. if you will, right? Mm -hmm. And you do it for your kids, you do it for your parents. You, so when do you say stop to take care of yourself because the law starts to go down? And, mm -hmm. You know, like you, you just kind of get lost within your own mind. Mm -hmm. So like when, it, when I saw like the, um, it said having an external and in, internal balance and, and I know I was like, I talk about children or something. Um, but how do you do that? Because I feel like it, resentment will start to build in. Mm -hmm. And it's almost anger just kind of solidifies mm -hmm. instead takes place in your heart or whatever. Um, resentment and connection to. There's times that you're always with my husband, and so sorry. But <laughs> like, how do you find that balance of mm -hmm. you know, taking care of everything? Mm -hmm. How do you find that balance? Mm -hmm. Everybody in the room. <laughs> 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 so I guess so snap with both hands, both hands. Yeah. Number one, 100% validation. <laughs> so like, I'm married with two kids. My daughter's seven. My son is four. And the the work that wives and mothers put in, especially on the the mom front, is like, it's just incredible. Like, it's so much. And you know, this is so difficult. And then you have Steph over here, who's right carrying the team, and like that's what you are essentially for your family. I will, I will um, say this, there, there's the, the concept of, of balance, right? Easier said than done, 100%. But I will us if you can carve out something for self-care and for that to be like wajib, where it's like mandatory, where it's like, and for it to be, you know, ideally something predictable, if it's the first Sunday of every month, whatever, or if it's every week on a certain day, certain, whatever it is for there to like, for, for, I'd recommend, you know, if you communicated that to, to your husband, for example, that I feel like I'm giving, you know, a lot and I kind of need something for myself or I need time is needed. Like there's some expression like you, what is it? You can't, you can't give from an empty cup or, or something, meaning like it's mandatory within capacity um to to try to car i say this as someone like i should be better about my own self-care right um but if there can be that conversation and for there to be some sort of plan in place that because it's a need that the burnout is real the struggle is real the fatigue is real like through and through 
Um, and the reality is a person can't continue to give um, to others if, if they're just so exhausted, if, if they're, you know, realistic uh, parameters, you know, the details would be up to you guys to figure out. Um, but that, that self-care makes a huge difference when it's there. And it also makes a huge difference when it's not there. Um, so in, in terms of, I would say in terms of ibadat and to, like for, for a mom to just to lock in the five daily prayers in Ramadan, outside Ramadan with no Sunnah prayers, no Tarawih. I really feel like that's good, but it's just such a grind, right? And just to, you know, check those, those boxes is like, um, is, 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 is going to be worth so much more because there is, you know, so much on, uh, uh, your average, you know, mom or, or wife's plate, which is a lot. May Allah make it easy, not not just for you, for any of us, for all of us. If someone, you know, is not married, may Allah make it easy. If someone is married, may Allah make it easy. If someone is married with kids, may Allah make it easy. If someone has kids and they're not married, may Allah make it easy. For anyone in every situation, may Allah make it easy. Everyone has, like, those different challenges, and um, but that, that self-care makes, you know, a huge difference. And, uh, I think what you said I, I really appreciated that we did the women's halakha. We've been doing it for like how long? Mm -hmm. But like I hadn't done halakha in so long. But like when I, I didn't realize that I was missing until like I did like a weekly thing again. Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh my god, why did I stop doing this halakha? Mm -hmm. It just if it really carving out like this hour really does, you know, mm -hmm. help. It helps your soul to have that rhythm to kind yeah, of have that. Yeah, yeah. 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 That for the week, so that, mm -hmm. yeah. Carrying that momentum. Just look into that next moment. <laughs> <laughs> and then, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, thank you for sharing that. And and uh, so, whatever. And everyone is different, right? For the Prophet, he mentioned that uh, like prayer has been made as the coolness of my eyes, right? What's interesting is look at it connected with something that made him truly happy the prophet so for someone it could be something else whatever that that may be um but that must have been something that helped to keep him going you know through the ups and downs of life because there was this constant thing that was truly giving him joy in his heart so zooming out from it being prayer specifically for someone it could be uh, something artistic for someone it could be something athletic for someone it could be to each their own it doesn't have to be like okay that that those are like universals. Aside from that, what what gives me fulfillment, basically? Uh, it is 1013, so we do have to, to congratulate all of you being here. We ask Allah to accept our intentions and our efforts, and we ask Allah to make this a gathering, one of benefit for all of us, and we hope that it's a witness for us on Judgment Day, not against us. And we ask Allah for healing for us and for anyone who's struggling with, with any sort of pain, any sort of difficulty, um, we ask Allah to help us and them, and we ask Allah to help all of us as it relates to our sugar challenges. May Allah help all of us in that regard. Amin Rabbil Alameen. Subhanahu Rabbika Rabbil Azzati Amin Yasifun. Wa salamun ala mursalim. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Jazakum khair. Also, if anyone wants to come back and get a little bit of a